Now on Food FM, you're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. Caroline and her guests make sense of the world through food, from politics to farming, making and cooking. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Hello, I'm Caroline Kenyon. It's my enormous pleasure to welcome to Bread and Butter today two really fascinating entrepreneurs involved in the world of community. James Arvadique, whom you may have heard of with his very first venture, Goop Hoods, and now steering the helm of the Coconut Collaborative. And as well, we have Jamie Hirsch from Manalife Peanut Butter. And the really fascinating subject I'd like to explore today with you both is the concept of community. So welcome. Thank you very much. Hello, thank you. Lovely to have you. So just tell me, I'm going to start, it's just slightly confusing having James and Jamie, but I'm sure we can navigate our way around it. James, just tell me your your foodie journey. Do you come from a family background where food was important? Is it something that you talked about when you were little and growing up? Good question. Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, I've always enjoyed food, uh, but I wouldn't say, I mean, you know, I'm not a chef. My parents weren't chefs or, you know, we just... Um, I guess like lots of people enjoyed a good Sunday roast and, um, and enjoyed kind of, it was always a social uh, occasion eating. So yeah, so food has always been a positive in my life. Well, that's interesting when you say food is a social occasion. So that's that's the idea in a way initially of, of food as community, isn't it? Of, you know, gathering with family and friends around food. Exactly. Good good thought. Yeah. And when did, when did you first, when did you first start to think that it was something that you really enjoyed and that you were interested in and that potentially you could see that it became, it was going to be something in your, your working life? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. But actually, when I think back on it, I, I uh, started my career, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in the autumn of my, my life now, but I started my career back in the, in the 80s. Uh, in the late 80s. And um, for whatever reason, I, I found myself working for Safeway, the supermarket chain, and which I absolutely hated, I have to say. It. Uh, but the only good thing about it was actually I realized I enjoyed the food business. <laughs> I hated working for a big company, but that's what got me into the food industry. That's really interesting. So it, it sowed the seed in your mind that food could be a thing for you in your working well, life. I mean, the great thing about the food industry is it's it's perfect business for entrepreneurs because you don't have to, you know, starting a, if you think about it, starting a bank is pretty, pretty difficult. Starting an insurance company is difficult or a telecoms business or a car manufacturer, but actually starting a food business is is possible. You know, the, the um, most people can do it if they have a good idea and enough kind of gumption and oomph to 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 go about it and i i guess that's that's what i did and i i suspect that's what jamie did as well i think that's very very modest of you james to say that it's kind of easier by by comparison but um jamie tell me tell me about your background so did was was food something that you talked about when you were a child and growing up did your parents cook were, were you cooking where did food fit in for you so food always played a pretty big role in our lives you know my my father was a is still a very very big fan of well all the things that no one else seems to like so he sort of i remember there's quite a a story that when we came home from school one day he had actually cooked an entire cow's tongue 
and uh, served it to all of his children to the sort of, you know, our shock. But it's it's something that has always brought us together and uh, and something as a family we've always loved to do, going out to restaurants, exploring things sort of, especially abroad in food. But but yeah, it's it's always been an interest of mine, but not something I always worked in and, and sort of, uh, I, I came to food a bit later after sort of having no idea what to do after university and sort of entering the IT world and uh, finding that a bit dull. I wanted to sort of pursue something more in in my sort of uh, you know, preferences and, and ended up here at Manny Life. Wonderful. I want to think that's something that, that unites the three of us then because I found myself in the world of food uh, largely because of geography, leaving London and moving to uh, Lincolnshire, which is this rural county that produces a huge amount of the country's food. But I I absolutely love the world of food and, and the people. And it is a community. And I think that's, that's something that really fascinates me about uh, brands now is how consciously they work on building a community. James, just tell me a little bit about Coconut Collaborative and what the origins of the brand are because when you started it coconut was not really a thing was it you you were really ahead of the curve weren't you yeah so i started it in 2014 um so yeah just over six years ago and it was certainly before the kind of plant-based revolution uh, that we're now kind of all in but um actually c- coconut was quite big um it was actually coconut water and coconut oil but I, I, I think we were, you know, we were certainly one of the first coconut yogurts. And the reason I got into it is because, I mean, obviously with my background at Goo, I was always into really great tasting indulgent products. And I always, I, I always like niches. You know, I'm kind of, I suppose I, I'm quite kind of, I'm very business orientated. I'm, I'm and, I, and I'm always looking for a kind of new angle. I'm, you know, my, my business is my hobby. Um, and my passion. And I was looking for uh, having sold goo uh, and actually, you know, enjoying life, but then got quite bored. I thought, well, what am I going to do next? And I just, I came across a, um, an ice cream made of coconut, uh, dairy-free. And I just thought, actually, this, I thought everything dairy-free was disgusting, but actually this was quite good. And I thought, well, actually, you know, this could be a really interesting business. So what about making yogurts with coconut? Um, and then I started that kind of, you know, slightly chaotic, random period of experimentation and playing around and talking to kind of nerdy people. Um, and then we kind of cracked it. And it's quite an exciting time. But obviously, you know, uh, it, it actually took it took a while to really get a good coconut yogurt because although making yogurt from cow's milk is quite easy, making yogurt from coconut milk is very difficult. Anyway, we finally got it right, uh, I'd say about a year in. And, you know, I found myself, um, fortunately, uh, at, you know, as part of this big wave of, um, you know, the plant-based revolution, as, it, as it's now called. But but in those days, you know, it was, I, I suppose it started as co- coconut water and, you know, and then 
and then it went into kind of dairy free and then it became this kind of plant-based thing yeah and it's been great it's it's growing like topsy it's fantastic i think it's wonderful i think you're being modest by saying you know you you sort of hadn't really anticipated the kind of the rise of the plant-based enthusiasm appetite whatever you want to call it but i think i think you are somebody with an instinct of the way that the market is going to go is that fair to say i i think what i'm you know if i've got a skill i'm i'm quite good at finding a niche and a niche that's about to move so it was the same at goo you know i basically found a a, a good niche and things were changing yeah so so basically i think the food industry and the, you know I'm interested in Jamie's view but it's all about finding a niche because basically everything in mainstream has been kind of done pretty much any which way but if you find a nice niche that's kind of where where lots of things are changing and consumer behavior is changing then you can actually if you get in early and you really establish a good market position and you invest behind it properly um you can actually build a good business and, and um i mean in the food industry which we all know is fiercely competitive uh, there are lots of startups but actually very few of them make it to you know beyond that kind of million pound turnover and that's the the real challenge is getting from a startup to a, a scalable business where you can you know have a decent market position which is i which is where we've now got to that's so fascinating jamie tell me about manalife and and that's also part of this plant based revolution and how how it's evolved, well, the origins of it, how it's evolved, and, and where you see it going. Yeah, I think, I think we found ourselves in the, in the same position as you, James, where it, it's a category that we've, we fell into. So just to, to be clear, so I'm um, actually the third longest standing employee of Manny Life. I'd love to take a lot of credit for the, the start of it, but that it has to go to our brilliant founder, Stu McDonald. And, you know, it's, it's a product that he went into simply based off the relationships that he made when he went to Argentina before he was meant to become an accountant. And so the story goes that he, he came out of university and was going to go work for PwC and wanted to build up enough guilt to become an accountant for the rest of his life. And whilst he was doing that, he went to Argentina and worked on a social enterprise. Um, and one of the activities they did was to encourage children to eat healthily. And they did that through lots of ways. And one of them was Pete trying to encourage them to eat peanut butter and fruit instead of chocolate. And through this activity, he met this incredible peanut farm run by a family. And he just absolutely loved them. And he, he often says, you know, he could have become a, you know, Manny Life could have become a, a honey brand if we'd met a great honey farm. But we happened to find this amazing peanut farm and this family that ran it. And he came home, instead of with your traditional chocolates or bottle of red wine from Mendoza, he bought a ton of peanuts with him and no real way to make any peanut butter. So when he got back, he, he put an agreement in place with a manufacturer who pulled out the day before the peanuts arrived. And um, so he was left with this ton of peanuts in his bedroom and no, no way to make it. And so he pulled together as many friends as he could and over the course of four months in his local rugby club kitchen, he made 4,000 jars. And this is sort of the, the cornerstone of um, where community plays a really big role in our business. You know, we, we've got the community and the relationship with our farm and 
the company itself was sort of founded and built on a bunch of friends who came together and and helped you create the sort of first jars. And so after these jars were made and sold, he he became an accountant and it, it didn't last long. He missed the relationship that he was having with the customers, um, getting the feedback from consumers and actually, you know, it, that that's what really thrives and, and drives him. And, and though, so he quit. He quit and started Manny Life full time. And I guess, you know, we can say that we were lucky to to come off the back of this sort of surge towards the, the healthy eating, not looking for things with palm oil in and, you know, the move towards vegetarian and veganism. But everyone who buys and everyone who's invested in our brand, we treat as sort of a very, very close family and friends. You know, so we, we like to think hopefully the niche came as a sort of secondary effect of us just trying to make a brand and product that everyone loved and and treated everyone sort of, you know, how you'd want to be treated. Oh, well, that's so interesting, Jamie. Thank you. I, I love the fact that your community um, has grown so naturally and spontaneously. And James, so when you started Coconut Collaborative, was it, you know, one of the headings on your to-do list, must build community? How did it work for you? I, I must admit, I, it wasn't a heading on my list, but but because I don't quite think in that way, but it, I, I, I still did build a community because I think that's how brands get built. But I, I, I mean, in terms of my approach to um, a product, I, I want launching a business. Uh, the, the first obsession is uh, is around the product, and and um, if your product is is a little bit better than everyone else's, um, and it's a, it's it's not completely kind of rocket, you know, something that people have to change their behaviour for. So. For instance, I don't think the whole insect snack thing is going to take off. This is the kind of, you know, e- eating as uh, insects as is, is basically crisps. I, I can't see people doing that. But uh, you know, making the shift from dairy yogurt to coconut yogurt is a relatively easy shift. You know, you, you can just put a dollop of my stuff on your granola at breakfast time. It's very easy. But 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 the key thing is to is to when you start a business is to focus 100%, I would say, on on having a fantastic product and then just basically getting it out to the right people. And, and we're lucky in this country that we've got good supermarket chains who are actually open to you know, innovation and entrepreneurial businesses. So, and, and the key thing, if you want to build a, a, a scalable business where you can employ people and you know, do all the things that we want to do, build a community and have great employee engagement and so on. But to do all that, you need a proper business. And to build a proper business, a food business in this country, you need to get into some decent supermarket chains because we don't have a a big enough independent sector to basically pay the bills. So so I was lucky we got into Sainsbury and Waitrose uh, from the get-go. And then you know, I had a business that uh, we could then scale, but but the foundation of the business was was basically a great product, which is the key. And I think once you've got that and you get a following amongst, you know, you're in the right places, you're talked about by the, you get people to talk about you because they, you know, everyone likes talking about good stuff and new stuff. Then at that stage, you build this kind of community and this momentum which is, again, the next stage of success. 
That's so interesting. So I believe you are now exporting. Is that right, James? You sell in well, America. Yeah, yeah. So we, when I say we don't actually export as such. So we've got an international, quite a large international business. But we manufacture our products in in the markets where we sell. So we manufacture in in um, France uh, and Belgium, uh, and then we. Um, uh, because of Brexit, it's actually quite difficult to export from the UK these days, unfortunately. I mean, I don't know why people didn't think of this when they unfortunately voted to leave the European community. But anyway, I'm not going to get into politics now. But uh, yeah, we, we have got quite a large international business. We sell in America, we sell in France, we sell in Germany, we now sell in Japan. Uh, but But the important thing about having an international business is you need to build not just one-off deliveries to a few shops in places. If you're going to build a food business, you've got to kind of be serious about it. You've got to invest in it. You've got to kind of build a market position. Um, and then you've got a business which is valuable. That's the only point of building an international business because otherwise the odd bit of exporting actually doesn't really add value to your business. I completely get that. So how do you nurture your community in different parts of the world? I'm really intrigued. I mean, do you have somebody who's looking after your Japanese community and somebody who's looking after your Belgian community? Or is it all run from the mothership here? Um, no, it's not run from the mothership. It, the, the kind of, if you like, the, the, the guidance or the, the, the kind of, you know, the savoir-faire is in the mothership. But then we, we, we do everything locally. You know, we're, we're very big into that. So it's, I've got a marketing team in, in America. You know, we've got 10 people in the States. So, uh, you know, as far as Americans are concerned, this is an American business. It's not, a, it's not an English business. We don't have the Union Jack on our products or anything. <laughs> um, and, and the same thing is in, in France and Germany, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we go local, if you like. Very interesting. Jamie, tell me about building the community for Manny Life, because I know that, you know, you're a young company and you love to go out there and chat to people. How's it worked for you? So it's it, actually really interesting hearing James talk about export, because that's something we're, we're looking at doing, but I'll, I can touch on that later. But the, the community that we built in the UK, it, it all started right from the very, very beginning. It was all about getting out to people and talking about the product. So we've always done lots of sort of events and try to get in front of people, you know, and actually so we can talk about the product. They can see the passion that we have. We can actually explain the sort of difference between us and other products in the category. Uh, and that was sort of a really big part of what we did in, in the early days. And, you know, 2020 obviously made that incredibly hard last year. And so we're looking forward to getting back to doing these these events and meeting the consumers and the customers and, and getting to know them and, and getting that feedback. It has been, um, you know, a really core principle at Manly Life is just always meeting people and getting out there. And, you know, it, it's been a really interesting journey for me, especially. So I've been at Manly Life for three and a half years. And when we first started doing these events, you know, people would say, oh, man life, what's that? <laughs> And you'd have to correct them, say it's Manny Life and uh, it's peanut butter and it's delicious and you should try it. And then once they've tried it, they sort of understand and they get it. And you can talk through this whole story of the farm to jar and, and everything that we're sort of about. And recently, you know, we did um, London Coffee Festival, which was our first event in, God, what, I think nearly 
a year and a half. It's changed so much in that time. We've grown a lot and people are actually coming up to us and saying, oh, Manny Life, we love you. And it's so exciting to actually sort of meet you. And and it's been so exciting to, to finally get back to that. The community is something that we've focused on from the beginning and, and known how big a part that it would play in just growing a small brand like ours. Hearing James talk about, you know, you've got your, your team of 10 marketeers in America. We're, we're a very, very small operation in comparison where there's only 14 of us currently in the UK. And it is, it, it's hard for us to get that sort of exposure and big message across but we have to sort of utilize our community to do that for us. Uh, and that's, you know, that's partly why we love them so much. And it's just because that's what we want to do. And then on the export side, just because I think it's quite interesting, is that it's it's really hard to do what we've done over here because we've relied on, you know, the staff on the ground here getting out and meeting people. And we're, we're finding it harder to, to replicate that internationally. You know, we're all very passionate employees and we can talk well about the brand, but suddenly you go somewhere else and the message gets diluted and that or maybe they're not quite as sort of energetic let's say about our, our product but it's something we're working on really hard to treat all of our partners internationally as sort of an extension of our business you know we're slowly making them many lifers and and getting them to sort of be able to to do what we've done here and grow sort of from the grassroots and build a sort of community again over that, over in sort of in foreign countries. You know, in these kind of businesses, I, I always think that everyone kind of does everything. You know, in a way, that's the way these kind of, and that's why these businesses are fun because everyone chips in. So, you know, when you do a festival, like the coffee festival is great. I love it. Um, and it's, it, it is a, it's a good way of kind of, you know, I think, um, you 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 feel that energy, and and I think the one thing about entrepreneurial businesses is they have got this energy about them uh, that other brand, uh, you know, other big businesses just don't have. You can always kind of plug in, you know, plug in an electric socket and see the energy, and 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 that is the key difference. That's why these kind of businesses which basically grow on adrenaline and energy and um, and passion with product quality at the core, and I know that's the case with Manulife as well as our business, then that, that, that's what powers them. Uh, and that's what makes them so interesting, I think. I think this is one of the dangers of when companies get huge investment or get bought out. You know, businesses that, you know, have been started by a founder or a group of friends, they have so much passion and integrity and such a wonderfully human story about them. And, and that just goes almost overnight, you know, as the ink is drying on the contract, you can feel that sort of energy ebbing away. And, and that sense of, you know, I, I've, I've supported brands for years because, you know, I've known the people or I've just, you know, discovered something that I felt was really special. And then as soon as, as soon as that uh, it, it sold, then I just, I, I just lose that sense of emotional connection is that something that you relate to either of you i, th I think the the thing about that is that if, if you look at you know all the brands that we grew up with and let's take cabras as a good example i mean cabras was once a startup business and with all of the energy and the passion and stuff that we probably put into our businesses so so the, the key thing to think about is that all businesses evolve. All of these brands evolve over time. And, um, you know, the founder can't kind of stay, well, they can stay there forever, but 
They rarely do, especially these days. And and the key for a successful business is to make that transition from a, a kind of founder model, which is powered by energy, kind of coffee <laughs> and adrenaline, to a, a, a kind of, as I say, a scalable business, which, you know, it can just kind of grow without let's just say the founder and i think that's the actually the key of businesses that do eventually you know grow like innocent did uh, like goo goo is now a huge business i mean you know it's kind of um by the way they never talk to me anymore but it, it's now like a 50 60 million turnover business it's huge but you know uh, all all of these brands start in, in in the way that we've talked about. I don't know a, a, a brand that doesn't start in a slightly chaotic way, and then it basically becomes more orderly and more kind of predictable. And um, you know, if it's good, um, it will carry on. Um, but it, but it, what's interesting for me is the way that these brands evolve, and then at key stages, I suppose, is you know what what do you do? What should you focus on? Because things like kind of festivals and so on, you know, only certain people go to them. So so if you want to carry on growing, you've got to kind of appeal to a, a much wider audience. And then you get into kind of things like, okay, well, we probably need to start thinking about TV advertising, or we need to start thinking about hiring a big sales force, or do you see what I mean? And, it, and it's just it's just the, the the way it is, and it but it is fascinating watching it, and the and the brands that make it and kind of get out of this tiny startup mentality and actually make it on to a, a, the later part of the journey. So interesting, Jamie. What are your thoughts on this? Gosh, it's yeah, it's it, it, it's hard obviously to keep that spirit when when things do change like that. But I know that. I know there are there are brands out there who have managed to transition sort of a bit a bit better maybe than than others in the past. You know, for for example, I know Camden did a really great job when they got bought. They you know became a big, you know, a small part of a very very big brand. And I think the founder stayed on there and essentially ran it the same way and sort of took advantage of the bigger budgets, the the ability to expand and. They've done a, a fantastic job, and you know you see Camden everywhere now, and it still is delicious, and still as good, and still as fun as the brand's always been. And I think I do think a lot of the the bigger the bigger brands are, are seeing that as an option now to do. You know, you can sort of buy a, a smaller brand and keep the soul, and keep the thing that made it so special. Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, yeah, it's it's something that everyone has to go through. I agree. And I, I, th- I think that as you make that transition, you've got to be so mindful of bringing your community with you so that they don't detect that there's a sort of, suddenly it's become a bit, um, I don't know, more data-driven, more more mechanical, a bit colder. You've got to keep that warmth and that personal connection, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I Definitely. think one one business that one brand that we all know, Oatly, is very very good at this. Um, so Oatly is now a huge business. It's probably one of the most valuable food businesses in the world. I think it's kind of it's like a twelve billion dollar worth business. But they're they're very clever at keeping the kind of like the personal touch. And I think touch and feel does make a difference. The way that people, the way that brands communicate, the way they interact with with customers and so on is is key and some brands are really good at it i think oatly generally is very very good at it i think innocent is very very good at it and and yeah they have made that you know transition to a big business but they they haven't lost touch with 
what I think consumers are looking for, which is this kind of more natural, um, more authentic, uh, more personal, but with good product quality at the heart of it. Really lovely, positive note on which to end a really rewarding and fascinating conversation. Thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. You're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.